This morning's reading is from Joel 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who, ha- all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers, grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered, The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field, are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's uh, pray and ask for God's help. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Uh, Father, we were reminded of these words a couple of weeks ago uh, and we ask now that you would help us to see that even more as we look at the book of Joel over the next couple of weeks. Please would you use it for your purposes and for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. There are certain things that happen in life that are forever etched in our memories. Uh, Things that we don't forget as a nation, even as time passes. Certain dates that we remember 
for generations and generations because of the significance of, of what happened on those dates. Uh, we think, I think of the Christchurch earthquake in, in 2011, the Kaikoura earthquake in 2016, the White Island eruption in 2019, uh, the flooding or the cyclone that, that recently hit the North Island. These are uh, devastating events that people remember because they are so different to what we're used to. They'll be spoken of for generations to come. And it's, it's this once-in-a-lifetime type event that we encounter as the book of Joel begins. Uh, the people of God, the Israelites, have been hit by this major event that has caused utter devastation. Swarms of locusts have, have caused years and years of damage. And the extent of the devastation is something God's people have never experienced like this before. Uh, the prophet Joel begins by asking, has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Now it's pretty natural when, when things like this happen to ask, why? Why did that happen? Uh, often it's a question that we, we simply don't have the answers to. But in the book of Joel, he, he has a message for God's people. He tells them that the devastation that they've experienced, uh, it was God who sent it. It was God's judgment against his people. And the reason he sends it is to call his people back. That's the shock of the book of Joel, as we'll, as we'll come to see. Now, what do we know about Joel? Uh, Joel is sometimes referred to as one of the, the minor prophets, meaning he's a prophet, but this book is much shorter than some of the major prophets like Isaiah or, or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Uh, we know his dad's name is Pethuel. Uh, we know he's a prophet. We know he has one of the best names in the Bible. But aside from that, aside from that, we know very little. We don't know exactly when he lived, although uh, there are a couple of reasons later in the book that, that show it could have been around the, the 5th century B.C., uh, but whether or not that's the case, it, it doesn't change Joel's message for God's people. And that's what we're interested in this morning. Uh, we'll look at his prophecy over three weeks and we'll have a break in the middle for our evangelistic service, which I mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, this week we're going to look at chapter 1, which uh, Lauren read very well, and also a bit of chapter 2, some of which I'll read a little bit later. Now I should make it clear, uh, there are two events that we see today. That the first is the locust swarms. They have already taken place uh, at when, when Joel is written. The, the second is the day of the Lord. And this was and, and still is yet to happen. So those two events, keep those in mind. Uh, verse 4, we get an idea of the first event, the locust swarms. Wave after wave of locusts hit. And it seems there are four different waves of locust swarms. Uh, people aren't quite sure what the the different types of locusts are, but that's okay. Uh, the first locust swarm comes and it, it devastates. And the first, first swarm is followed by another swarm referred to as the great locusts. Uh, whatever they leave behind is then eaten by the young locusts. And finally, what the young locusts leave, the other locusts have eaten. Now, for most of us, it's hard to imagine what a locust swarm is like. Uh, apparently, a swarm of locusts contain up to uh, can contain up to 10 billion locusts. A single locust can travel up to 3,000 miles. Uh, for those who don't know, New Zealand is about 1,000 miles long, so three trips the length of New Zealand. But it's not, the, not just the distance, it's the fact that they, they strip all the vegetation wherever they land. 
And apparently a swarm can devour in one day what 40,000 people eat in a whole year. Locusts can, can basically eradicate the, flu, the food supply of a, of a whole nation. And that's probably why it mentions later in the book about the years of damage that has been done. And that's a small idea of how bad things would have been. Now, the rest, of, the rest of chapter 1 is really a glimpse of the devastation that, that Joel sees as he scans the land. Firstly, verse 5 mentions uh, drunkards. It says to them, wake up and weep. While you've been sleeping, there has been an invasion. You can forget about the, the sweet taste of wine because the vines and the fig trees have been stripped bare. And see how the locusts are described, like a powerful nation, teeth like a lion, fangs like a lioness, laying waste to everything in their path. And I think he sees complacent people, which is why he speaks with such urgency, as, as we'll continue to see through the book. Now, he mentions an engaged woman uh, who loses her soon-to-be husband. Uh, that, that's the kind of grief that the nation should be feeling. He notices the priests are mourning because the grain and drink offerings are gone, uh, and that means that the people have no offerings to take to the house of God, which will further damage their relationship with him. Uh, next, Joel points out how bad things are for the uh, how bad things are for the farmers. The the oil, the wine, the fields, the wheat and barley, the entire harvest is gone. This is the kind of event that destroys livelihoods. The vine has dried up, the apples, the palms, the pomegranates are all done for. Farmers can't supply food to the nation, and, and with that, the joy of the people of the land is gone. There is famine in the land. So, so we get a picture uh, of, of what's happening in the land. It's, it's a time of national mourning. That's what the, the wearing sackcloth symbolized. Uh, and he says these ironic words, declare a fast, uh, which I can imagine isn't hard to do when, when there's a famine. Call everyone to the house of the Lord and cry out to God. Uh, and we come to verse 15, and, and this is where Joel stops talking about the day of locusts and, and starts talking about a different event. He points to a day in the future that will be much worse, the day of the Lord. Uh, this is one of the, the key themes that's associated with the book of Joel. And you see, it, you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, come up five times in, in these chapters. It's a phrase that's used over 30 times in the, in the entire Bible, mostly in the Old Testament, but also in the New and it's often referring to a future day of judgment. Uh, Isaiah 13 says this, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul writes, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the, no in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The day of the Lord is when God will finally judge those who have rejected him. And that helps us understand a key part of, of Joel's message to the people of Israel. A day that will be unmatched, where, where everything will be exposed for what it is, where evil is dealt with once and for all. That's the day of the Lord. Uh, so what does Joel say about it? Verse 15. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Everyone will remember the day of locusts uh, because of how bad it was. 
But Joel says that the locusts are a sign of, of something much worse that is coming. An even more destructive day lies ahead. If, if you think this is bad, if you keep treating God the way you are, then you'll see something much worse. As we've been going through, you may have noticed we haven't actually been told what the people did wrong. How do we know that the plague of locusts wasn't just bad luck? Uh, it's something that you know still happens in our day and age in other parts of the world. Joel's role as prophet is to help people see the significance of what happened. But there's another way we know, all the way back in uh, the book of Deuteronomy in, in chapter 28. Uh, the people of God are, uh, are getting ready to enter the land that, that God had promised them. And God tells them that things will continue to go well for them if they obey him. But God actually warns them of what will happen if they take his, his kindness for granted and if they disobey him. He will discipline them. And what are some of the specific ways? Uh, let me read out just a little bit of Deuteronomy 28. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. Swarms of locusts will, over, will take over all your trees and the crops of your land. Uh, those words from Deuteronomy show that this was one of the, the consequences God's people were going to face if they disobeyed him. So, so this terrible event that took place was God's judgment. Joel knew it and he confirms it to the people. Uh, now let me be clear, it, it would be foolish for us to, to look at this event and draw the conclusion that, that every disaster that takes place is God judging particular people for their sin. Uh, and I say that because Jesus tells us that. Uh, look, at, look at a passage like Luke 13. Jesus reminds his followers that we shouldn't read into particular disasters or catastrophes and, and try and determine whether people, were effect, uh, people affected were more sinful than others, whether they deserved it. We shouldn't do that. Instead, there is a need for all to repent. Now, it's right for Joel here because that's the message that God had for his people at the time, the message they needed to hear. God spoke through the prophets back then, but now, how does he speak? Through his son. So people, uh, perhaps a more helpful thing uh, for us to remember when, when natural disasters do strike is to recognize the tragedy. But remember, there is a day that is coming that will be far worse for anyone who is an enemy of God than anything this life can throw at us. Jesus says, if you are not for me, then you are against me. It's a great reason for us to keep prioritizing the importance of, of bringing people the gospel of Jesus that can save them from, from that terrible day to come, even as it's saved us. Now in chapter 2, Joel's message starts to intensify, if, if that's even possible. He, he describes what the day of the Lord will be like. Now let me just read the, the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. And in verses uh, 3 to 11, he details just how bad it will be. And it paints a, a terrifying picture. A mighty army with, with fire clearing its path, turning green fields into wastelands. This army is, is ruthless, merciless, single-minded in its approach. When people see them approach, they go pale. No, no defence can withstand this army. Uh, when, you, when you see footage of, of 
an army going to war, uh, they march. They usually march in, in perfect sync to begin with. But but once the battle begins, chaos ensues and, and all sort of structure is lost. There's sometimes friendly fire, but not the Lord's army. For, for nothing can withstand it. They don't swerve from their course. They're not jostling with each other. They plunge through defences without breaking ranks. Nowhere is safe. The highest city walls are, are no match. The, safe, the safety of our homes is futile. The whole earth is impacted as the sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. And you see the question Joel leaves the people with in, in verse 11 of chapter 2. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? Well, having shown the people how, how bad things are, uh, God offers his people a glimmer of hope. Now, let me just read for us verses 12 to 17 of chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring, bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The day of the Lord will come, but there's a way that the people can be on the right side of it. And these key words uh, from God are there in that section I just read. He says, return to me with all your heart, with, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Don't do things for appearance's sake. Don't go through the motions with me. Return with all your heart. Be, be genuine. And normally you would never interrupt a, a nursing mother and you'd leave the bride and groom alone as they, as they get ready on their wedding day. But this is urgent. Drop everything, says Joel. This is life or death. Now that's as far as, as we're going to go into chapter 2 this week. So what do, we, what do we do with this first chapter and a half of Joel? Two things, I think. Firstly, remember that the gospel includes the judgment of God. Many of us don't like thinking about it or, or talking about it too much. Uh, people out there care for God's judgment even less. But Joel says, pay attention. What happened in the past points to what is to come. Make sure you don't miss that. And you see the way he, he stresses that at the start. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. The judgment of God in the past is, is how we know there will be future judgment. But let's not fail in our responsibility to teach the next generation what, what's happened what will happen to those who go against God? 
Uh, it's wonderfully encouraging seeing the different ways people do this at St. Stephen's uh, with their own kids, with, with other people's kids. It's a great blessing for the next generation. Now, as we, as we look back, uh, we know God is just because he didn't even spare his own son from judgment. And because he is just, he won't spare those who don't turn to him in repentance and faith. So let me ask, is the gospel message we proclaim one that includes the judgment of God? Or are we guilty of trying to change the gospel to, to fit the times and the culture around us? Most people don't resonate with judgment, do they? They, they might resonate with love. And the judgment of God is often the thing that gets left out, isn't it? And yet, we're not truly loving others unless we warn them of the, the judgment to come on the day of the Lord. Let the day of the Lord inform the way we talk about the, the wonderful news of Jesus. Now, the second thing I think we see this morning is, is the importance of a life of repentance. Uh, in chapter 1, you may have noticed that there was widespread mourning because of what happened. Uh, wake up and weep, wail, mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. There were priests mourning, there were farmers in despair, widespread grieving. That's chapter 1, but, but chapter 2 is different. Rend your heart and not your garments. Rend, uh, to rend is to tear or, or split or rip to pieces. Uh, so I take it that means acknowledge your brokenness before God, re- return to Him. And do you see the, the difference between chapters 1 and 2? Chapter 1 is, is recognising that there's something wrong. Chapter 2 is humbly turning to the one who can do something about it. And that's where so many fail to, to truly grasp the message of Christianity. We can all see problems around us in this world. Most of us can also see problems within us. Uh, we face many difficult things, some of which uh, people will be facing now. But if we don't turn to the one who can truly help us, then we're not humbly acknowledging our need for him. Jesus, the one who faces God's judgment so that we won't have to. Uh, there may be some here this morning who, who still don't see their need for Jesus or who aren't doing anything about it. Nothing seems urgent. Maybe you think this happened thousands of years ago and, and there's no sign of the day of the Lord anytime soon. Maybe it won't come. Dealing with sin is, is too hard. Joel warns us against that kind of complacency and, and folly. This day of locusts was like a, a preview, like, like watching a trailer for what will come. It will surely come and in full force when we least expect. <clears throat> so don't delay your response. There'll be others here who, who are following Jesus, but maybe you feel uncertain of, of where you stand after looking at a passage like this. Maybe you wonder, am I genuinely repenting? There are times I do, but there are also areas where, where I haven't changed. I keep struggling. Uh, if that's you, remember the way that, that God treats his people. If, if you're someone who trusts in Jesus, then those words of verses 13 and 14 in chapter 2 should be a great comfort to you. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love towards us. All of these things are true for us if we trust in Jesus. He won't send calamity upon us, meaning we'll be okay on that day of the Lord. But let's keep bringing our sin before him. 
confessing it to him, not, not taking his mercy for granted. Now, one final thing you notice through the passage. Now, there's no loss of life in, in the initial plague. God warns his people, but he doesn't destroy them. And as we'll see next week, if, if they turn to him, he promises to restore them and bless them beyond what they deserve. Uh, so that's, that's Joel 1 and a half. Uh, the judgment of God is coming. Recognize it and turn to our God who delights in showing his people mercy and compassion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for this this chapter and a half that we've looked at this morning. Uh, And thank you for the the warning that we clearly see in it. Father, help us to realise that this day of the Lord will come one day, that the Lord Jesus will return, and that we will have to give an account to him. Father, help us to recognise that. Help us to continue to turn to you. Uh, with our sin, with our struggles. Particularly pray for any people here, Lord, this morning who who haven't done that, who haven't been doing that. Please would you help us uh, to do it in humility. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.